Welcome to the Amazing Horse Country Podcast. I'm Scott Phillips. Have you ever wondered what equine bodywork is all about? Personally, I find it fascinating. In Episode 3, we bring in the expert to answer some questions about the many facets of horse therapy. First though, let's start things off with a little story. I have a 26-year-old gelding named Ty. He is retired from riding these days, but he has an important role as a herd leader here at Amazing Horse Country. He's good at his job. He is a confident horse that has a good understanding of what is important and what is not. I can count on him to let me know when to start feeding hay in the fall because the grass isn't growing fast enough for him, or a gate needs to be opened so he can get on the other side. He provides an excellent role model for younger horses in the herd. He's fair, he's calm, he's a good guy. 26 isn't exceptionally old for a horse, but Ty has had many unfortunate incidents in his history which, by all rights, should have resulted in his demise. He's kind of like a cat with nine lives, but I think he's probably on 11 right now. Many years ago, Ty broke a vertebra in his neck. Initially he seemed fine, but the next day he was unable to pick his nose up off the ground. The vet kept him in overnight and in the morning called to inform me that my horse had a broken neck. I couldn't believe he was even alive. I took him home. The vet said the prognosis was uncertain. He could recover. He could fall over and die. He could stay the same. Basically anything could happen. I embarked on a journey of healing with Ty. I was doing all I could to promote his recovery. I did a lot of research. I tried a lot of things. And in the end, he did recover to a great extent. I subsequently rode him in the mountains many times. But due to the swelling in his neck, his spinal cord had been compromised. He has never completely regained proprioception in his right front. This has led to him tripping because he's shy of picking up his left front because he compensates with it. A few years ago, this disability led, as far as I can ascertain, to him wiping out when he was trotting along fast down the pasture in the winter. That was an accident that really messed up his back. I was about a five hour drive away at the time and I received a call from my house sitter that Ty was down. The vet thought that he had colic, but I didn't believe it. When I got home, I found Ty in excruciating pain. I had to do something. The look in his eye said, please just end this. It was so painful for me to watch that. It brought back memories of when Ty had broken his neck and I'd spent days with him, even sleeping in a cot in his stall. It's tough when a good friend like that is having trouble and you feel helpless. But hope was not lost. I called a good friend of mine, an equine body worker by the name of Jody Schultze McMahon. She is the owner operator of Broken Spur Equine Therapy. Jody worked on Ty extensively and left me with the script of therapeutic exercises. After Jody left, Ty was noticeably better. He had a brightness in his eyes again. He paced and paced in his pen, wanting to be out with the herd. But there was a spark to him. The old Ty was back. A few years have passed since that incident. These days, Ty is quite mobile. And with continuing therapy, he has progressed to comfortably trotting and even loping around with the herd. It's a pleasure to see him happy. With me today is Ty's savior, Jody Schultze McMahon. So Jody, let's start off at the beginning. When did equine bodywork become a recognized option? 
It seems these days it's commonplace, but has it always been? A quick look at Wikipedia says the modalities of massage and chiropractic began in the early 1990s. And this is probably when bodywork started to become more acceptable and more mainstream for horses. Yeah, and I mean, horses have been in use for thousands of years, you know, all over the world. And these years, horses find themselves sort of more in pleasure use or competitive use versus they're required for agriculture or travel or war horses. So you would think that over history, you know, when horses were required for those things, that the people that owned them or had to work with them or, or care for them would have some sort of bodywork program to help them out. For sure. I think the reality is that some form of bodywork has always existed, whether it was called that or not. Humans definitely have an innate knowledge that a laying on of hands is beneficial. For example, when we hurt ourselves, the first thing we tend to do is to hold it. When I did a bit of research, I found that some historians believe that the ancient Greeks massaged both their warriors and their horses prior to battle. In a situation where peak performance could mean the difference between life and death, this seems like it was probably a good idea. No doubt. <laughs> good racetrack grooms were also always known for their attention to detail with their charges, detecting the slightest bit of heat or inflammation and being able to help take care of it. They would give the horses a good rub down as part of their daily routine, and whether they intended to or not, this definitely would have had some therapeutic benefits. So yeah, I really do think that bodywork has always existed, but in more recent times, people who have training to work on humans have taken that knowledge and started transposing it to the horses. Some of these people have developed schools or classes, so a search for equine bodyworker training will bring up a number of options. I'm always surprised by the number of bodyworkers in my area, and it seems like I'm always coming across new names. So I think it's pretty safe to say that it's become quite popular. So with that number of bodyworkers out there, how would one know who to choose? It's definitely a consumer beware situation. It's not a regulated industry, so anyone can provide bodywork service regardless of whether or not they have any training. The same holds true for the education providers. Some are brilliant and have a strong background in human-based education, combined with years of equine-related experience. Others have developed their own programs with the support of other industry professionals, such as vets and biomechanics experts. And then there are those that may or may not have any education or certification, but are now offering a certification. So as a horse owner, it's definitely worthwhile to ask some questions about a bodyworker's education before you trust your horse into their hands. Is bodywork then like medicine where a doctor completes advanced education in a particular area in order to become a specialist? No, not really. With the industry being unregulated, there isn't a base requirement of education that's required or recognized, and each education provider is very different. So there's not quote-unquote med school for bodyworkers. So someone who's starting out may have a few hours of online education, or they may have hundreds of hours of hands-on learning. They may have been required to do a significant amount of self-study followed by an exam in order to achieve a certification, or everyone who pays to take a course may just receive it automatically because they showed up and paid their money. Continuing education is similar. Some courses have prerequisites, others are set up so that they themselves can be a starting point for a body worker. So I think for a doctor, once they decide on what type of doctor they'd like to be, the path to get there is more or less laid out for them. For a body worker, you have to do all of your own research and then plan out your own path. For a doctor, some schools may be considered to be more prestigious than others, but the schools still meet a certain standard of education. For a body worker, you might invest a significant amount of money to take a course, only to find out that the information that's provided in that course is out of date, or the course just doesn't have the depth of knowledge that you were looking for. So it's definitely more of a challenge to figure out how to get where you want to go as a body worker. 
So it sounds like, you know, for uh, someone getting into the bodywork profession, there's a lot of options out there and a lot of directions in which to go, a lot of different courses they can choose from. You know, in your personal uh, career, how did you chart that course? So I guess part of that is that I was always really a keener that liked school. So <laughs> I just am always taking more courses. And the good thing is, is that I've been able to find um, some definitely some good education um, that has some good backing that's well respected in the industry. And that's provided connections to some of the other modalities I've uh, gone to take courses in. Um, it's always a great thing when your current education provider is able to recommend somebody because you know that the course is probably going to be on the same level or caliber, um, which is great. Getting back to what you were talking about before, where you mentioned that, you know, some courses offer a certification. Do you see certifications like that becoming regulated in our future? I do think that there will come a time where the industry becomes regulated, or at the very least, where some of the questionable education will weed itself out. I know it's been quite the ongoing process for the human massage therapist to work towards being regulated, so I know that getting there really isn't an easy path. One of the things that I really see a need for for body workers is for them to have a base level of education in regards to equine health, lameness, and general horse husbandry, in addition to whatever modality they are starting to work with. Sometimes knowing when not to work on an animal is just as important as being able to develop a plan to work on that animal. And I think that a base level of education would help with this. Yeah, absolutely. So most regulated professions require their members to maintain some sort of education program. Back when I was a professional engineer, and I know my mother shared the same when she was a pharmacist, we were both required to you know, get so many credits per year in order to maintain our professional status. Do you see a benefit to something like that in the equine body worker industry? I really do think this is a great idea and that should be required. There really is so much to learn and there's no way anyone can ever, ever know everything that there is to know about body work. Even brushing up on anatomy is an ongoing process. There are professional associations currently available which body workers can choose to belong to, and as part of the membership, a certain number of continuing education hours are required. I think that this is definitely a step in the right direction. For sure. Do you have any concerns that certification might adversely affect the spectrum of body work available? What I mean by that is, with the multitude of different techniques and methods out there, who is to say what works and what doesn't? What is questionable and what is proven? That really is a tough question. In the human industry, each modality tends to fall under its own association, even though the human world isn't fully regulated yet either. In the equine world here in Alberta, we have associations that are trying to cover all modalities, and so that definitely becomes a bit of a challenge. As far as affecting what modalities are available, I think that the good thing is, is that the human world provides a pretty good model for that. There are people who choose to use modalities that are considered maybe a little bit different or witchcrafty. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, if that works for them, that's great. And the cool thing about using some of those modalities on horses is that the horse doesn't lie. So if that's what works for your horse, then that's great. It definitely is a challenge to introduce regulation to that though. Yeah, I guess, you know, kind of where I was thinking a little bit too when you're talking about the witchiness stuff is 
there's a lot of stuff over history, like you even dial things back 100 years ago. And we talk about some things about modern medicine that were considered witchcraft back then, but today is accepted as standard practice. And, you know, we see sort of the same types of things in the bodywork industry where, you know, maybe 10 years ago, some certain modality would have been questionable and people would have scoffed at it. But now people are jumping on it. Totally. And that's the tough thing about science is that it takes time to study and prove things that exist. And so it tends to be quite a number of years behind what's happening out in the world. All right. So when we're talking about different modalities like that on the topic of furthering education as well, what's on your radar, Jody? What programs or techniques are you interested in pursuing? Well, it's been a little bit slower since I've started a family, but over the past few years, I've been working through the cranial sacral courses offered through Upledger Institute. I have one level left to take, and they're just finishing up the details of the certification process, so then I'll have that to work through. In the meantime, I've been collecting case studies to submit for it. I have a couple of other externships that I'd like to finish off before baby number two arrives. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. But um, yeah, at 33 weeks, I'm kind of running out of time on that, so we'll see. (laughs) I've always been drawn towards getting a human certification as well, mainly because there's just so many human-based courses that I'd love to learn and bring back to the horses. But we'll see what that looks like as time moves forward. Okay, we've tossed around the word modalities back and forth here a few times. So can you explain exactly what that means and what modalities you practice in, in particular? So modality refers to a type of body work. Massage is a modality that is different from craniosacral therapy or myofascial release. In my current sessions, I've mainly been using massage, craniosacral therapy, joint mobilizations, and neurokinetic therapy. But I also have training in red light therapy, kinesio taping, myofascial release, aromatherapy, energy work, saddle fitting, and a few others that I can draw from as I need to. Wow, <laughs> that's quite a bit. <laughs> like I said earlier, I'm a bit of a keener. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That's awesome, though. I mean, because that must allow you to be able to draw on those things when you need, well, like you say, when you need them, right? That's exactly it. So it's definitely fun to be able to be like, hmm, how many ways can I pick at a string in this nest of problems that's yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah, absolutely. Is horse therapy piggybacked on the human therapy industry? Like are, are, when there are advances in human therapy, do those then become transposed to the horse industry? I would say that quite often this is the case. I think that the human side of things has been more thoroughly explored and researched. So there's a lot more available for people right now. But the horse side of things is definitely advancing too. Good. On that same note, do you find some techniques are accepted by horse owners because they're in use in the human world? Or the client has used those on their own body, for example, like take a laser therapy or red light or magnet therapy. I found that it really depends on the person. For some people, this is really the case, and it's way easier to introduce a different modality for their horse when they've experienced it for themselves. Surprisingly, some people are way more open to try something for their horse than they would be for themselves. They may have never had any type of body work done for their own bodies, but are really open to and believe in some of the more out there modalities for their horse. So I find, you know, even with myself, I'm more apt to put the effort into my horses than I am my own body. I own a red light, for example, and I don't hesitate to use it on my horses, but I find, you know, when I have an injury myself that uh, I just kind of let it slide. Or you keep doing what needs to be done and then eventually drive yourself to the hospital (laughs) because you might or may not die. (laughs) In your own experience, Jody, 
who seeks out bodywork for their horse? What I mean by that is, who do you find your client base is? Anyone with a horse, honestly, from competitive riders to trail enthusiasts, trainers to backyard horse owners. I know some folks that maintain regular visits with their therapist even when they're not having any problems. Or like an annual visit to the family doctor, for example. What are your thoughts on doing the same with a horse? In my practice, I definitely have all kinds of clients. There are those who, that are competing and feel that a regular maintenance program is necessary to keep their athlete at the top of their game. In these situations, my goal is to help that horse be just that little bit faster, jump a little bit higher, or maintain that higher quality of movement that will help them excel and get those extra points. The horses that are competing at this higher level are also undergoing other stresses such as trailering, stabling away from home, and sometimes injuries. Right. I'm able to provide support for all of these situations. I also have non-competitive clients who just believe that body work is just what you do when you own a horse. They're looking to keep their horse as happy and comfortable as possible and generally maintain the horse's well-being. And there's certainly no harm in that. Exactly. And then I have yet other clients who run a lesson program. So I don't necessarily see the same horse every time I see them, but each horse in the lesson string gets a couple sessions per year or more if they're struggling with something in particular. I also have clients that I only see when something has gone wrong. Maybe their horse had a bad fall at the last barrel race and just isn't running as hard now. Or they brought the horse in from the field one day and the horse just wasn't himself. Other clients treat their horse to a session as a birthday gift, as a way to say thank you after a time of hard work, or just because they want to spoil their horse. A lot of horses really do enjoy the sessions, and the owners are able to appreciate all the goofy faces stretching and yawning throughout the session. Yeah, and I can appreciate that, and I have to admit to being guilty of that myself once or twice. Um, one thing that that gets me into thinking about a little bit is... You know, when we're talking about a session as a birthday gift or the odd session here or there, or, you know, it's it's that time of year, so I should get a session done on my horse. Is there a benefit when it's only like an individual session like that or being on a session program is, is going to be more beneficial for a certain horse? So what I tell all of my clients is that I really don't have a set answer for what's right for them and their horse. It's really up to them to decide what their goals are, observe how their horse responds to the sessions that we do, and then decide what they're able to incorporate into their budget. From there, I can provide feedback. For example, one session a year isn't going to cut it to maintain most peak performance horses, but it's a great way to spoil your best friend. Yeah, there we go. So I can understand competitive horses requiring therapy no different than a human athlete in a regular physiotherapy program. But there are certain times when a human needs a doctor and there are certain times when we need a veterinarian for a horse. And sometimes I feel that folks are more apt to go to the person they trust the most, even if that might not be the best choice of care in the moment. So... How would someone know whether or not to go to their vet or contact you right off the bat? This can definitely be a challenge for horse owners. One of the best ways to answer this question is to think of what you would do if you were in your horse's situation. If your answer would be to head to the emergency room or book a doctor's appointment, then you probably need to give your vet a call. If your answer for yourself would be body work, then give your body worker a call. If you're really not sure, then it's definitely better to be safe than sorry and talk to your vet first. Having a great working relationship with both professionals is really beneficial as well. I'm always happy to offer my opinion when my clients call and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Do I need to book you or call the vet? I know a lot of vets are happy to do the same. Where I get a bit grumpy is when someone has me out, is deliberately vague on the details when they book, and when I get there, 
I find out that the horses had a bad fall months ago, isn't able to bear weight on a limb, and they've called me because I'm cheaper than the right, vet. Right, right. I find that this is really unfair to the horse, and I'm not able to provide any kind of diagnosis. As a body worker, I can note abnormalities in your horse's movement, I can detect areas of heat or swelling, feel tension that might indicate where an issue lies, but I'm not a vet. I don't have x-ray or ultrasound machines in my fingertips to be able to guarantee that there isn't a fracture or tendon injury. I can help a lot of things, but I can't massage broken bones better. Wouldn't it be handy just to have an x-ray app on your phone? <laughs> like <laughs> You have no idea. <laughs> I can't it's like what I, that's like what I dream about at night. <laughs> no doubt. And, you know, I was listening to the radio the other day and they've got this set of ads running that have you know they're interviewing kids on when you should go to the er room versus go to the the local clinic just to you know unload the number of people that go to the emergency room for non-emergency situations and that's sort of the similar thing right like it's it's providing some education to people on you know when they should go to a, a certain practitioner Totally. The interesting thing in the horse industry is that I find that people are more likely to call a body worker when they should be calling their vet, whereas with themselves, they're more likely to go to the emergency room because they have a cold. Right. That's kind of funny. So it's just ironic how that works out. So yeah, but I definitely think owner education is the answer to that situation. An example from my own life occurred a few years ago when I hit my foot with an axe. Brilliant. Yeah, that was um, great. And um, yeah, I seem to remember getting some flack from some people for that. I can't imagine why. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, when it happened, the first thing I did is went to the ER because there was an open wound that needed stitches. And we x-rayed and found that, yes, indeed, there was a bone chip. And there was no amount of body work that was going to provide the right tools to deal with those situations. Once I got home, however, then I definitely made use of my red lights to speed up healing and help with the pain. Over the next few weeks, I was starting to get kind of sore because of the way I was moving because of the toe injury. So I actually ended up waking up an old tension pattern related to a car accident that I had. So then I called my body worker and went in for some massage and craniosacral therapy. Later on, the movement pattern still hadn't gone back to normal. And so I had met up with a chiropractor who was able to help me out with some kinesio taping. Each of these pieces were crucial to me getting back to normal, but they only had value when they were used at the right time. So similarly, I'm sure that you end up working in a therapeutic program with a veterinarian, you know, for a particular horse. How does that scenario come about? Sometimes a vet will send a horse home with instructions to seek out body work for a particular issue. And that's pretty cool. Other times I might refer a client to their vet. And then once we have a solid diagnosis of the issue, the vet and I can make a plan together for what each of us has to offer for the best possible outcome for that individual. I've also been really lucky to develop working relationships with certain vets in my area, and they've had cases that they were referred to me saying, you know what, give Jody a call and try out some body work first. That's great. It usually comes along with a see what she says, see how your horse responds, and we can all talk afterwards to make a plan on what needs to happen next. I personally really enjoy these opportunities. Everyone gets to throw in their strengths and experiences. We all usually get to learn something new. I get to see what I'm feeling under my hands via x-ray or ultrasound, so it's a great opportunity for me to geek out. 
And the best part is, is that the client gets the benefit of ensuring that everything they're doing is actually working together. And you know, that, that brings up another thought too, is do you find, or have you, you know, requested of a client to go to their veterinarian for x-ray or ultrasound so that you can use that information to provide further therapy? Yes and no. Um, there are times where definitely that information is valuable to know what's underneath my hands, but typically when I'm referring, it's because there's something going on that I feel like they need further investigation, where they really need to know what kind of injury is going on underneath the soft tissue that I'm working with. Right. Makes sense. So getting back to experience and certification, body work is one of those endeavors that can be anything from a hobby to a profession. There are folks like yourself that are experienced, committed, and, you know, really concerned with educating horse owners. What I enjoy about having you work on my horses is that it's an educational experience for me. It helps me supplement my knowledge, which I can pass on to folks in clinics and, you know, how I teach. And there are those out there that are just starting out in the industry, trying to get their name out there. They might be great, fantastic body workers, but don't have that resume of experience yet. So let's say I was looking for someone to work on my horse. I don't have a clue what modalities might be recommended or required. One of my friends pops in and suggests I see a chiropractor and my neighbor says that an acupressure specialist would be the best thing to do. Where do I go from that? I mean, what can I do to sort through the multitudes of opinions and people to find someone, well, you know, like, like you that I would trust? So it can definitely be a challenge for owners. As far as choosing a modality for your horse goes, it really can be a trial and error process. Each body and each issue itself is different. So one horse might respond better to chiropractic and the next might respond better to craniosacral therapy. One individual horse might need massage to resolve an issue and the next time the same issue shows up, it might need something totally different. So I wish that there was an easy answer that I could give you, but it's just not the case. So if you're thinking of calling a body worker, you might start out by giving those body workers that you've had a referral to to try. At least you have a personal reference. If you're not noticing any improvement with your horse, see what else and who else is available in your area. As far as individuals go, each body worker is exactly that. Even people who have taken identical training will have different techniques, different strengths of course, and their sessions might look completely different. For myself, I've really tried to become proficient in a multitude of modalities so that I have a lot of tools to use in each case. That doesn't, definitely doesn't mean that I have all of the answers, but I'm also really glad to refer to someone else if we aren't getting the change that we're looking for. The first time you call someone, you probably do want to ask about their training. After that, I think that the relationship that you're able to have with that person is really critical. You want to feel like you can trust them, that they truly have your horse's best interests in mind, and of course that your horse seems to respond well to the sessions. And I, I agree with it. I think it's that trust and openness that, you know, really develops a client relationship. I know for myself that I really appreciate that level of honesty from other professionals that I work with. One of the greatest things about the vet that I use for my own horses is that she's always willing to say if she doesn't have an answer for me that day. But then she's also going to go home and either talk to another vet or do some research or do whatever she needs to do to come back to me with an answer. And I really, really appreciate that level of honesty and integrity. Yeah. And it, it has to be tough, you know, being a professional in that 
And maybe you've run into that too, where you have to tell a client, like, you aren't sure what's going on. And, and maybe, you know, the vet is the best place to go. Totally. And that happens all the time. And I think that at the end of the day, I'm not a vet and I don't have any interest in pretending to be a vet. So I want to make sure that that horse receives the best possible care and is started down the path towards the best possible outcome. And if that means they need to go to the vet, then by all means, that means they need to go to the vet. I don't want to waste my client's money or my own time doing something that isn't going to make a difference or a positive impact for that horse. Well, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's honest. And that, I think that carries a lot of value. And it's it's the, the flip side of that, too, is that, you know, when a vet says, you know, maybe they don't see anything on an x-ray, but the horse is still having some issues. And then they say, well, maybe you should go talk to Jody. That's exactly it. And that's the conversation that I've had with vets that I do have a working relationship with is that it's one of mutual respect and we're able to understand each other's strengths. And yeah, then we're referring back and forth to get that better outcome for these horses. Perfect. Well, I think that about wraps up our session today. And again, Jody, thanks again for dropping in for this podcast. And we really appreciate hearing from you. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Why not join us? Become a patron and a member of Amazing Horse Country. We'd be glad to have you. Membership levels include early access to podcasts, our member-only forum, lots of Amazing Horse Country swag, participation in our live webinars, and even one-on-one -on -one training with me, Scott Phillips. Membership plans start for as little as $5 Canadian per month, and those go a long way to helping us provide podcasts, videos, and more for all you fantastic horse people. Give it some thought. Again, we'd love to have you join us. Just head to AmazingHorseCountry.com backslash membership. Even with a basic free membership, you can register for our amazing clinics and webinars, watch training videos, engage in our articles, share your horse stories, and much more. You'll find it all at AmazingHorseCountry.com. Oh, before you go, why not take a couple seconds and give us a five-star rating on whatever podcatcher you're using? We'd love your feedback. Until next time, my friends, happy trails. Happy trails.